Revelation 11:19 to 12:17. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. The war broke out in heaven. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now, ha now have come the power and the salvation and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lisa. Good morning, Park Hill. How are you all this morning? Yes. We are in the Revelation series and it has been something else, right? Um, so my name is Tanika Wyatt. I am um, one of the, what do I do here? I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, my husband and I, Jason, and I work in marriage and family ministry. And so it has been a pleasure getting to know you all, sit with you over lunch and coffee and laughs and giggles uh, and tears and all of those things um, over the years. So we really are grateful to be here. Um, in fact, I'm just going to pause and just pray over us. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your love and kindness. We thank you for your goodness, your grace towards us. Thank you, God, that um, we don't have to worry about whether or not you're here. You were here before we got here. You have paved the way for us. You've gone ahead of us, and you are in us and with us now. 
And so we pray, God, that you would open our ears so that we would hear you, that we would open our eyes so that we would see you. And God, help us, encourage us, bless our lives by your text. We thank you for the words that you have left on record. God, to encourage us, to build us up, to lift us up, to correct us, to steer us in the right direction. We thank you for this time and this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, so for several weeks, as you know, we have been going through the Revelation series. And um, I have to admit, when Evan first asked me to speak, I was a little intimidated. Like, do I, do I really want to talk about Revelation? Am I equipped to teach on something so, um, so rich and so, so with so much depth and, and frankly, has previously left me confused. Um, And so many of you know a lot about, or some snippets at least, of my own background um, and parts of my story. I've been a Christian basically my whole life. Um, I can remember actually making a confession of faith around age four or five, whatever that looks like for a four or five-year-old. But um, I always knew I loved Jesus. Like literally being on the front row during communion, just crying, just something in me knew that I loved Jesus. I felt at home in the church and I grew up in the church, going to Sunday school and Bible study and camps and singing in the choir and serving in many different ways. You know, you name it, I have been immersed in Christian life. And so while I knew I loved Jesus and I knew that he loved me, I still grew up with some fears um, in my heart that maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't completely measure up. um, And maybe despite my commitment to Jesus, one day I might still be left behind. Does anybody remember that series, the Left Behind series, the movies and the books? Um, you know, I, it, it was all about the end times and the chaos that happens after this massive disappearance of Jesus followers. And I still remember the song. It was kind of creepy. You'll be left behind. You guys remember it was, it was so sad. I was like, oh. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Um, I actually had, I actually, as a teenager, I had these like nightmares that Jesus would come back for his people and I would see all the saints going up and I would like float up to the ceiling and hit the top and come back down, float up, you know, just never being quite good enough, you know, Anybody else have those dreams? It was kind of scary, actually. Um, And so while I love Jesus and I've experienced his love throughout my life, there were things about him that I misunderstood. And some of it, frankly, had to do with this book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so now it 
seems kind of silly because now I read it with so much joy and awe and wonder in realizing who Jesus reveals himself to be to his people. But back then, for me at least, it was shrouded in mysteries that I did not understand. Beasts and battles and imagery that I frankly would just leave up to the professional Christians, you know, the, the pastors and the seminary students. Like, y'all go figure that out, fight over it. I'm just going to try to trust Jesus day by day because I don't know what's going to happen. You know, um, and I saw the apocalypse as it was depicted in the movies with all of the doom and gloom and something scary. Um, the destruction of mankind when God finally pours out all of his wrath. But what we've learned in this series, if you didn't already know, the apocalypse, that word actually means unveiling. It means uncovering. And so this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it reveals who he is in a dramatic, mind-blowing, and beautiful way. Evan has likened... um, this book to a drama with acts and scenes and main characters. And so I'm just going to stick to that uh, since that's how he started it. And, and we're going to lean into that as we unpack Revelation 12. And guess what? You and I are actually written in that script. There's place for us in Revelation 12. And so before we get into the text... I want to remind us of the purpose for which John wrote this book. Number one, it's so readers of this book can see their present moment in light of their future with an awareness that Jesus has come and is coming again. And number two, so that we get a glimpse of what we cannot see that is happening in the spirit realm, in the earth, and in the heavenlies, to know that things are so much more than what we see right now. And it's also important to know that this book was meaningful to its original readers. They understood it. They found comfort in this book during times of persecution. God's people saw this as a love letter. They saw this as his protection. They saw this as his comfort, as his promise to rescue them. They were comforted during times of persecution. They were convicted to repent and return to God. They were encouraged to know that regardless of the war that is being waged, they were on the winning side of God, of a God who always causes his people to triumph. And so those same messages apply to us today. It's important that we know the purpose of the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we find hope in the scriptures as well. We know that our light afflictions in this moment produce incomparable, an incomparable weight of glory. So let's get back to Revelation 12. 
And so sticking to the drama language from previous weeks, this would be considered act three, okay? So we get a picture into God's, um, God's temple in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant is there. There's lightning and thunder and rumblings and an earthquake and a hailstorm. Amidst this glorious, fantastical backdrop, the scene begins to unfold. So chapter 12, verse 1. A great scene appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and crown of 12, st 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Here we see the scene of a great battle. This battle is an age-old fight between a woman and her son and the dragon. From the very beginning, God pronounced in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there would be hostility between the woman and her offspring and the serpent and his offspring. So that woman in Revelation, the woman who is pregnant with a son who will rule the nations, she represents Israel, and she represents the church. She is the culmination of a constant battle throughout history between God's people and the serpent. And there's a dragon who wants to devour her child as he is born. Does this sound familiar? Think about Mary and the baby being hunted down by Herod and Herod slaughtering countless numbers of children, male babies to and under in Bethlehem just as a plot to kill the new king. And so the sun and the moon and the stars that we see around this woman, they are also a reference to Joseph's dream in Genesis chapter 37. And that's a representation of Israel. And so Israel, through many years, many labor pains, gave birth to the Messiah, the Bible says, at, the, at just the right time. And the dragon sought to devour him, but God intervened and snatched him away to the throne. And in verse 6, we see the woman escapes into the wilderness to a place God has prepared for her to be taken care of for a season. Is there no wonder why God's people found comfort in this text? Knowing that God steps in to fight for them. He steps in to cover them and care for them. And so this part here, um, it just amazes me 
when we look at the prophecies of Jesus Christ, the prophecies of the Messiah, God throughout scripture, and there is um, gonna be, there are gonna be a couple slides on the scene, um, slides on the screen that really are a prophetic table. There are many uh, prophecies that were written, that were given in the Old Testament, that were fulfilled in the New Testament. And so what we're picturing here, what we're putting up here are um, prophecies of Jesus Christ. God actually, as we read this text that have been written thousands of years, um, thousands of years ago, the dragon, the ancient serpent who was around at the very beginning, at the creation story, he He's known these scriptures. He heard God's plan. And he knows the prophecies. But we serve a God who is able to give the enemy his game plan and still win. God said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the woman and her offspring enemies against the serpent and his offspring. I myself will provide a lamb as the sacrifice for all nations. He will be the son of David from the tribe of Judah. A virgin is going to conceive and give birth to a son who will be called Emmanuel, God who is with us. He will be born in Bethlehem. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. I will send someone to prepare the way for him. He will teach in parables. He will open the eyes of the blind. He will fill Galilee with glory. His body will not see decay or corruption. He will have the power of the resurrection. He will swallow up death forever. And then I love this scripture, Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. God will make it happen. God laid out his plan and said to the serpent, to the dragon, now see if you can stop it. See if you can stop what I have spoken. And that is the same God who fights for us today. God has spoken some things about you. He has designed you for a purpose and a season, and he has ordered your steps. And sometimes it may feel like the enemy has the upper hand, but I want to encourage you that the same God who spoke out his game plan from the very beginning so that the enemy could hear him still established his word and made it come to pass. The Lord of heaven's armies will make it happen is what the Bible says, and it's what we believe. The devil cannot stop what God has put in motion for you. Amen. He cannot stop it. The enemy has always wanted God's throne, he's, and he's always hated you, newsflash. He's always hated you because you are loved by God and called by God. 
and because God has prepared a place for you in his heavenly throne. This battle is spiritual. The dragon, Satan who makes accusations against us, the ancient serpent, the prince of the air, the ruler of darkness in this world, he has always been after God's people and our place in the kingdom. But as we read ahead in this book where Jesus reveals himself, we realize that the dragon does not win. He is defeated. We win. We win because God not only is on our side, but he has brought us to his side. Jesus told us in John chapter 10, uh, verses 9 through 11, Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose, however, is to steal and kill and to destroy. So anytime you see destruction, you see loss of life, you see murder, you see theft, that is the thief's purpose. That's what he's come for. But Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Do we believe this? I feel like sometimes we feel like God is trying to take things from us. He doesn't want me to be happy. He has all these rules. But that is not God's plan for you. Jesus said, I have come that you might have a rich and satisfying life. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. Jesus is both the shepherd and the lamb. And so as we recall from Revelation chapter 5, he's not just a lamb. He is the slaughtered lamb, the bloody Lamb who stands in the midst of the throne. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 12, uh, verse 7. We'll pick it up from there. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole, the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say. Before that voice, let me just listen. What we experience in the earth, so much hatred, political division, demonizing, even demonizing one another in the church, racism, injustice, poverty, death. What we experience in the earth, those are symptoms of what is happening in the heavenly realm. They are symptoms of the war that is being raged, waged by the dragon. Okay? But then in verse 10, 
John writes, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, this is, this would be more kind of like narration, okay? Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. The scripture gives us a picture of the enemy's defeat and the victory of the church. Now, we already know that Jesus' way of defeating the enemy is unconventional, while there is war going on between Michael and the angels and the dragon, the serpent and his angels, um, we see something, something else when it comes to the victory and salvation of God's people. When the scene pans over to the people, this is me and you, the Bible says they overcame by the blood of the lamb. They overcame by their own testimonies. And they did not cling so tightly to their own lives that they weren't willing to give it up for the sake of Christ. If you want to know how we win, how to kill the dragon, it is won by the price Jesus already paid through the bloody, messy cross. Two is by the declaration of your own mouth. What do you have to say about God? What has he already done for you? And three, it's having the right eternal perspective of this life. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. How do believers overcome their toughest battle. How do we kill the dragon? It's the blood of the lamb. It's the words of our testimony. And it's our willingness to lay down our lives. While this is, you know, oftentimes we think of end times, this is futuristic, this is what's gonna one day happen. This is happening right now. This battle is happening right now. This is how we overcome right now. The lamb has already been slain and we all have a testimony and we already need to lay our lives down. The blood of the lamb. Jesus has already carried the weight of the world on his shoulders when he went to the cross. I'm going to read Isaiah 53. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. 
punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned, on, turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. This book is not about God's wrath being poured out. As we see in Isaiah 53, this picture of the cross, God has already poured out his wrath. And you know who took it? Jesus took it. Jesus stood in your stead. He stood in my place and he took it. He became the lamb that was slaughtered. And so now there's no more need for a bloody sacrifice. Those lambs and those goats that people brought to the altars day after day, Sabbath after Sabbath, or however the practice was, that was not enough. It was never enough. And so Jesus took it. And so what have we done with the blood of Jesus Christ? Have we applied the blood to our lives? Remember the very first Passover in Egypt where the children of Israel were still in bondage and God was preparing to, to deliver them and bring them out. And then there was this death angel where every firstborn was killed. Not just the people, but even the animals. God instructed them to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Cover your household. Cover your place of dwelling with the blood. Jesus was that lamb. Jesus was the lamb who was slain to save us and rescue us from death. He has already done the work. And so we submit ourselves, we submit our lives in obedience to him, recognizing that his sacrifice alone could save us, is the only thing that could ever save us. So we repent and we are buried with him in baptism according to Romans 6 and 4 and Colossians 2 and 12, and we follow him. And as we often say in Park, at Park Hill, as Scott mentioned earlier, we be with Jesus, we become like Jesus, and we do what Jesus did. That's how we apply the blood of the lamb to our lives. Now, the next thing is your testimony. What is a testimony? What, what is your testimony? What is your Jesus story? I grew up in a tradition of sharing testimonies every week. We had what we called testimony service, okay? At the start of each service, there would be a prayer, there would be scripture reading, there would be songs, and there would be testimony service. It would basically be an open mic for anybody who wants to come up and tell God's goodness, it could be, you know, how God transformed your life. Maybe you just got saved and you want to talk about it. Or maybe you just want to say, God answered prayers 
this week, or you just might want to say, I thank God for bringing me here today because I almost didn't make it. We practiced regularly sharing stories of God's goodness and his mercy towards us to remind one another and to remind ourselves because we understand that we overcome by the words of our own mouth. We overcome by the words of our testimony. So this could be your salvation story, how you came to know Jesus, where he found you, how he transformed you. It could be whatever God is doing in your life. We had a habit of telling others with our own words, through our own experiences, how God is working in our lives. So, so what do you have to say about Jesus? If you were called to the witness stand, what would your testimony be? What would you say about him? Apparently from this text, your words mean something. What you speak about yourself and your life and Jesus work in your life, they mean something. We know in Proverbs 18, 21, the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words are how you overcome. And let me just pause right now and give God thanks and praise for his faithfulness in my life. Last Sunday, right after church, I get the news that my brother was suddenly gone. I call him my brother. He's a dear friend. He's like my brother. He's my um, children's godparent. Uh, he and his wife, they're our besties. We see them every week. We're with them. We're doing life with them. We love them. Um, and so I get a call after second service, right over at Five Guys, you know, getting a shake and a, a burger. And I get a call from my sister that um, she says her husband is gone. And I'm not wanting to believe, I, I'm, I'm thinking like maybe I'm misunderstanding, but I'm hearing the franticness of her voice and I know that there's something that is not right. I, I, I believe she's saying he's passed away, but I'm not wanting to believe it, you know what I'm saying? And so we have to change our plans and we rush over to their home and as we're pulling up and we see all the emergency vehicles and we see the police, we know that he has died that he is not with us. He is a pastor. He's a wonderful husband and father, and he's a pastor. He was actually preparing for his afternoon service to preach. And in his study, while, while reading and studying and devoting his life to Jesus, he drops dead. And so, and I know I said this is a testimony and it sounds really dark. <laughs> But, but what I want to tell you is that, first of all, death in this life is a symptom of the war that is being waged, okay? We already know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
That is what he's after. He is after our lives. But here's where God's faithfulness shows up for us. Let me tell you, we have our, our days have been numbered. But as the people of God, our eternity is set. Your days may be numbered, but if you call Jesus Lord, your eternity is set. And so it doesn't matter what the dragon does. It doesn't matter what his, his idea and his plan for you. It doesn't matter what's going on in this world. Our eternity is set. And at the end of it all, we win. And so God has faithfully showed up for me. Because while I agreed to speak this week, I had no idea that I would have the kind of week that I had last week. And, and thank God for our leaders and pastors, and they gave me an, an exit, like, you don't have to do this. And I felt like God still wanted me to, but then after I said yes again, I was like, maybe I should have said no. But my testimony is that God has been faithful all of my life. God has been faithful all of my life through every loss, through every transition, through every disappointment. God has been faithful to me. God has been gracious to me. God has been kind to me. God has been present to me. He has been my father and he is a very present help in troubled times. God is near to the brokenhearted, and you don't know his nearness if you've not been brokenhearted. You don't know his comfort if you're always happy, but it is when we are in sorrow that we understand that God is faithful to give the oil of joy for mourning, that God is faithful to give you the garment of praise for your heavy spirit. God is faithful when life does not seem to be. So that's my quick, I thought it was gonna be quick, testimony, but what has he done for you? What is, I, I want you to start thinking about, because at the end of this, I want you to tell the person next to you. What has God done for you? We cannot sit here, come Sunday after Sunday, out of ritual and out of habit because it's the right thing to do. We should be showing up because God has been good to us, because I owe God praise for the things that he has done for me, because he has been so good, because he satisfies my life and he gives me good things. And even when things, is not, things are not good and life is not good, God is always good. God is always good. And so we thank him. And so that leads me to the next thing. The Bible says they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And when I read this, I thought about Hebrews chapter 11. We call these folks the heroes of faith. Um, and so after, if you read Hebrews 11, there's a list of all the mothers and fathers in the faith. And then the writer says in verse 13, they all died in faith, 
although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, (laughs) greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. My days here are numbered, but my eternity is set. Our days here are numbered, but our eternity is set. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God has prepared a place for us. And so as we read about this in the book of the Revelation, how we overcome, you know, for for many of us in the Western world, we're not so concerned about death. We're not concerned about persecution to the death. Mostly it's the living that is an issue. Living in such a way that our life screams, Jesus is Lord. Lord over my finances. Lord over my relationships. Lord over my sexuality. Jesus is Lord. Those who just read about, um, those that we just read about in Hebrews 11, understood that this was not their home. They were able to look at their present moments in light of an eternity. What you face now is temporary. God is faithful to finish the work that he started. And he is able to get you to an expected end. And I have learned that my good days are a reminder of how great God is. And I've learned that my bad days When I'm overwhelmed, my bad days remind me that this place is not my home. And there are better days ahead. Jesus gives John a glimpse of the war that is raging in the spirit. So that we understand that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against our bosses, and our spouses. That's not the problem. I know you may be having a difficult time at work, but your boss and your coworkers are not necessarily the issue. Your spouse is not necessarily the issue. It's not that you don't have enough money or know the right people or live in the right place. Even the struggle in your own flesh That's not the battle that we're fighting. This battle is not physical, but it is a spiritual one. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So as we sort of land the plane here, what, what battles 
have you been fighting? What is occupying your mind? What has you worried and anxious and doubting that God's going to show up for you? Doubting that God loves you. Doubting that he is present with you in your life. Where does the dragon show up to accuse you? God has already written. The, the book is finished. The work is finished. God's work in your life is done. We have the, the lamb that was slain. We have our testimonies. And we don't love our lives so much. We don't love this Space, this place so much that we're not willing to give it up for the sake of the cross, for the sake of Christ. And so I want to encourage you that whatever you've been dealing with, whatever you have been battling, understand that it's a spiritual battle. Understand that, that there's a lot going on. We've been saying this for the last several weeks, weeks, that things are more than what they appear. Things are more than what you see with your own eyes. We have an enemy, but we also have a God who fights for us and has declared victory for us. I'm gonna ask you to stand And we're going to come to the tables shortly, um, the communion tables. And, and we want to remember the bloody, messy cross where the lamb was slain. We want to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so let's just take about 60 seconds. Get in your mind. What is your story? What has God done for you? How has he showed up for you? What does his faithfulness look like in your life? I know he's been working. I know he's been speaking. I know he's been showing up for you because that's just who he is. That's just how he is. He has not put you here. He is not a father that has abandoned his children. He's not put you here to forsake you, but he is fighting for you. He has gone to war about you to ensure your victory, to ensure that your eternity is set. And so when you think about him, when you feel his loving arms wrapping you up, when you feel his comfort in times of sorrow, what do you have to say about him? Right before we go to Drew and the team, I just want to take 
maybe 60 to 90 seconds. Tell somebody. Tell somebody what God's done. Testify of God's goodness in your life. Amen? You can do that now. Do that now. Turn. Actually turn. You have to turn. Turn. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them. Find somebody. If you've run out of people on your row, find somebody. one more thing <laughs> we have to get used to declaring the works of the Lord we have to get used to giving God glory and praise not just on a Sunday morning we have to get used to using our own words to glorify our God what do you use your mouth for Open up your mouth, give God praise with your words. Tell Him how good He is. Remind yourself of His faithfulness in your life. We use our words to complain. We use our words, our language to talk about other people, to badmouth God's creation. Use your words to give God praise. Use your words to give God glory. Testify of His goodness in your life. He has been good. He has been good. He has been good. Thank you, Jesus.